my jaw just hit the floor. There were so many boats just all over the place. It was like a parking lot of big fishing vessels, and we were in the middle of it. From Wyoming Public Media, this is Human Nature. Real stories where humans and our habitat meet. I'm Aaron Jones. This time, we'll hear about a man thrust into a situation he couldn't really understand. In the winter of 1984, Kurt Meyer was about to turn 25. And before starting grad school, he was looking for a bit of adventure. So he applied for a job on a Japanese fishing trawler. In order to fish in American waters, each Japanese boat had an American fisheries observer on board. And as his boat's observer, Kurt's job was to monitor the catch out in the Bering Sea off the coast of Alaska. Since Kurt didn't speak Japanese and the crew didn't speak English, it was a lonely life. The fishing master would come down and eat dinner in the evening. He was very friendly, um, would always make sure if I came into the galley while he was there, that I had to sit beside him. About the only English that I remember he knew was Bia. He was always excited when I came in to eat and wanted to make sure that he offered me a a beer, a Japanese beer. And that was pretty much the limit of conversation aboard the boat. The days were monotonous, mostly below deck, watching the catch come in. But one February morning... I remember that morning waking up and sitting in my cabin and realizing that it was it was really rough weather. You could just feel the bow pointing up like it was going uphill. And then there would almost seem like there was a pause and then the bow would drop. Almost like a slow motion roller coaster ride. It just felt like the whole 330 feet of, of the trawler was just shaking. There was just this boom, just almost like you were inside a gong or something. It just felt like the whole ship was just slamming down into the water and just, just made everything shake. And I knew at that point it was, um, we weren't going to be fishing that day, so I, I wouldn't have to be doing any observer work down in the, in the factory part of the ship. So I went up on the bridge, and it was already daylight. It was really windy. It seemed like the boat was straining to crawl up out of the trough of the waves up the side of the next wave. The swells between the trough and the peak of the waves, it was probably 30 feet. The relationship between the wavelength of the waves and the length of the ship the sea would start to fill up the trawl deck. So when you looked out, it looked like the ocean was rushing up onto the trawl deck. We were crawling up the wave, and then we'd peek over the top and come crashing down, and there'd be this big boom. The whole boat was just just shaking like a big piece of metal that you hit with a hammer. And we Slide down into the bottom of the trough and the way, top of the waves would be towering above the bow and we'd start crawling up that wave and finally get to the top and repeat the whole thing. 
I don't remember how long I spent on the bridge, but eventually I think I had my breakfast in the galley and then went back to my little cabin. So I was basically spending that morning sitting at my desk, kind of lounging on my little bed in in the cabin, just waiting for the storm to to pass. Until sitting there at my desk, uh, I really heard an uncommon commotion loud voices kind of shouting and four or five sailors with the rain slickers on that they typically wore when they were out on deck. So there's this small mass of people shuffling down the hallway and and they're carrying someone. And so I, I just assumed that it was, you know, some sort of accident. And it was probably better for me to just to stay out of the way. So I I stayed where I was, sitting in my cabin, and I don't remember it being very much longer, and the same thing happened. You know, there's this commotion of people coming in from the trawl deck, and again, the group of people coming down the hallway headed for the galley are, are carrying someone. I guess at that point, um, I guess didn't know what to think, what to what to make of it. But um, you know, still felt like um, I had never worked on a trawler before. Um, probably better to to stay out of the way. And so again, I I stayed where I was in, in my little cabin with the door open. And pretty soon it happened a third time. Same thing, just kind of a commotion. Someone gets carried in. And when it happened the fourth time, there wasn't enough room left in the galley. So that person ended up on the floor, basically right about where the cross hallway that I was looking out into for my cabin met the hallway that they were carrying these people in from and um, laid him down on the floor there. And there was a couple of people kind of knelt down around this fourth person that had been carried in. And I decided it was about time to get up and go take a look and and see what was going on. The man looked like a Japanese fisherman, wearing a rain slicker, bib overalls, rubber boots, vinyl rain jacket. But what stood out is that he was unconscious. You know, as near as I could tell, none of the four were talking or moving. anything. The people that were giving them aid uh, seemed to be mostly trying to get wet clothes off of them, trying to warm them up. The fourth guy that was laying in the hallway, he was, you know, basically had two guys near his head and they were, they were kind of rubbing his shoulders, rubbing his, rubbing his arms. And there was one guy near his legs when I walked up he was rubbing, you know, this unconscious guy's thigh, kind of patting him. I thought, well, I can, <laughs> I can rub this other leg if he needs to be warmed up. You know, I can help do that. I hadn't been there very long when behind me, coming in from the trawl deck again, was this commotion and a small group of Japanese sailors carrying in another person, a fifth person. 
was obvious they were unconscious. They weren't speaking, they weren't moving. They just got laid down kind of in the hallway. And eventually, uh, not long after, there was a, a sixth person that was carried in. How in the world did this happen? How in the world did we end up with, with six unconscious people on this trawler in the middle of Bering Sea in a crazy storm? I realized that there wasn't much first aid training or first aid available. The strategy to, to warm up these six victims involved whiskey. There was a, an open bottle of bourbon that was kind of being passed around from people that were trying to assist these people and, you know, kind of lift their head up a little bit and try to dribble some whiskey into their mouth. So I think it was about at that point, as I was sitting beside this guy laying on the floor, you know, it really dawned on me, I need to figure out whether he's breathing and has a heartbeat. The guy wasn't breathing, and he didn't have a pulse. Kurt didn't have any CPR training, but he had a basic idea of what was involved. So I did my best rendition of mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, you know, kind of like I saw it done on TV. It was it was gross, I guess. <laughs> um, probably had pretty poor technique. Um, I was getting breakfast blown back at me from this guy. The other sailors kind of around me kind of looked, um, I don't know, surprised, maybe even aghast that I was doing that. Certainly nobody else joined in. So I went into the galley and sort of checked as, as best I thought I knew how to see if any of those three had a pulse or were breathing or anything. And it didn't appear to me that any of those three were breathing or had a pulse and went back to victim five and six and, you know, same condition. No breathing, no pulse, um, all wet, really cold. And then the radio operator yelled down to me to come up on the bridge and my jaw just hit the floor. There were so many boats just all over the place. It was like a parking lot of big fishing vessels and we were in the middle of it. They got me over to a radio and it was another observer that I talked to first. The man told him two trawlers met up because one of them didn't have an observer, like Kurt, on board, and the other boat was bringing them one. But the storm prevented the transfer. And so they were going to wait out the storm in order to be able to make the transfer of the observer. And the height of the waves was so high that any of the radar type of instrumentation that they could basically keep track of each other would be cut off when whichever trawler was in the trough of the waves. The peak of the waves would be towering above the bridge of the boat and they just lost track of each other. And the trawler that did not yet have an observer on it apparently changed course 
and that put it in front of the other trawler and the trawler that had the five American observers on it actually slammed into the other trawler. They basically punched a hole in the, in the hull back near the engine room and it just immediately started to sink. That boat sank so fast, and even though that other trawler that ran into it was, you know, was right there, there was eight rescued and 16 lives lost. So out of that crew complement of 24, only eight people survived, and so six of those victims ended up on our trawler. After talking with the American observer, Kurt also spoke with someone on an American Coast Guard vessel. I just remember the radio operator on Coast Guard Cutter talk about, we got to get out of this traffic or we're going to have another accident, which I guess really impressed on me again that it was just surprising how many boats were out there and they had come to try to assist um, in rescue or recovery for this accident. Then, Kurt headed back down to the sailors. At this point, it was pretty clear there was nothing to be done. So he and some of his crewmates just sat around the victims. One of the other Japanese sailors from my boat said, said something to the effect that, that they were friends. So, you know, he was trying to, trying to revive a friend of his. And as I found out later, these victims had been in that cold water, two or three degrees C, for maybe two hours. You know, chances are um, even the best CPR that I might have been able to do or anybody else would have been able to do probably wasn't going to save them. As the boat traffic cleared, the trawlers set sail back to Dutch Harbor, Alaska. There the bodies were cleaned and dressed in colorful traditional Japanese clothing. Various officials boarded the trawler, and six body bags were unloaded. And then it was back to sea. We immediately untied and went back out to the bearing to continue fishing. I think it was a couple days later, and the radio operator pointed to a fax machine they had there and said something to the effect of, um, thank you, you know, family, Japan, thank you. You know, somebody had relayed the story of trying to do the mouth-to-mouth resuscitation and relatives back in Japan had wanted the message relayed to me that they, they appreciated that, that effort, though. Fishing wasn't good, so the assignment eventually got cut short. Kurt was dropped back at Dutch Harbor, and the Japanese fleet headed home. A few months later, when he started grad school, Kurt signed up for the first CPR course available. Our storyteller was Kurt Meyer. He's only ever been back on the ocean for a couple of whale-watching cruises. You can find another ocean adventure story in episode 28. Visit humannaturepodcast.org. 
While you're there, you can support the show and get a sticker or t-shirt. I'm Erin Jones. This episode was produced by Micah Schweitzer with editing help from me, Megan Theory, Greg Ronco, and Anna Rader. Our theme song is by Caught a Ghost. Human Nature is a production of Wyoming Public Media. It's Human Nature!